As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. This is the word of the Lord from Luke eleven twenty nine through 32. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I recently listened to a message that I believe was speaking right to the heart of where so many people are right now in our cultural moment. This message was an incredible encouragement to me, and I pray that it will be an encouragement to you on this Palm Sunday as the music and worship has been, as I share just a couple of brief excerpts from this message that I heard. The person giving the message said, Historians will probably call this era an age of anxiety. This generation is dying, not from external pressure, but from internal combustion. Surrounded by our luxuries, our gadgets, and a false sense of security, we hide from reality. We hide from our conscience. We believe we can hide from God. But even in our gilded towers, we are hounded by the feeling that we are not the person we ought to be. We create our own troubles, and then we try to cure them without God's help. Rather than turning to God, we try to fill our body with all sorts of synthetics, tranquilizers, and alcohol. Or we seek to live in worlds of fantasy, trying to escape. We've tried to cover our nakedness with fig leaves, but our illusion of self-sufficiency is playing out, and the sham is nearly ended. This message is not from 2023. It wasn't even given in that year that we don't like to say out loud, 2020. But this message was given back in 1961. And the person giving the message was none other than Billy Graham. Speaking more than 60 years ago, and yet speaking and using language that sounds like it could be true for us and is true for us all these years later. In fact, a couple of things I take away from the beginning of that message, and I promise there's more of an encouraging part I'll share in just a minute. I take away a couple of things. First, there truly is nothing new under the sun as the Bible says. There may be some new expressions, but they are new expressions of the same old things, the same old anxieties, the same old selfishness, the same old temptations we face to try to do things all on our own and for ourselves. But the other thing I take away is the good news, that the answer to our deepest needs has not changed. Billy Graham continued in this message, we must awaken to the fact 
that our spiritual case can only be cured by the great physician. And the remedies which he indicated are as valuable today as when he first prescribed them. Jesus Christ is the only anchor for the soul. In him alone do we find abiding peace, the abiding peace we are so desperately searching for. Only he can give us mental, physical, and spiritual rest if only we would put our trust in him. Doesn't that sound like Billy Graham? And here's how he concluded. I love these words. The genius of the gospel of Christ is that it has diagnosed the soul of man, discovered his need, and provided a cure. You will never be the person that you ought to be, no matter how many other remedies you try to apply, until you hear and heed the words of Christ. I pray today that as we look briefly at another red-letter text, that we would have ears to hear and that we would heed the words of Christ. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at these passages where Jesus was speaking, Jesus was teaching, and we've talked about the idea that there are, are just no words that have ever been spoken or written down that are quite like the words of Jesus, these red-letter words that we have in our New Testament. Because what we have when Jesus is speaking, Jesus is teaching, is God himself in the flesh speaking to us his very words in ways just as we've described that penetrate to the deepest recesses of our souls. And Jesus has a way of speaking to us like no one else ever could. Today we continue talking about the red letters. Now I want to just take a moment here to express my appreciation to Zach Hudson. Zach brought a great message from a red letter text last Sunday. I'm so thankful for that as we were traveling back from Thailand. The week before that, my father-in-law brought a great message, and, and we were actually in the northern part of Thailand that morning. We were looking out over Myanmar at that moment and praying for the people there and praying for Thailand, and I got to tune in and hear an incredible message from my father-in-law, and yet I kind of felt like maybe he was trying to outdo me a little bit because I call these red letters and he called his the bright red letters. <laughs> I've been in this family for almost 22 years. I didn't realize we still had that competitive thing going on. But I will give credit to where credit is due and be happy to be in the shadow this morning. This morning we're just going to talk about some red letters. And we're going to talk about these words that Jesus gave and expressed to the crowds as the crowds were growing around him and as he spoke to the crowds that day he began with words that weren't flattering words he began by calling them a wicked generation the crowds were increasing around jesus he to this point in the gospel of luke has been teaching he's been healing He's been casting out demons, and more and more people are gathered around. And yet, we see as the crowds are growing, there still seems to be this sense among so many that their hearts, their hearts are, are hardened. And they are, are constantly questioning his words, his identity, his authority. And, and, and the saddest part about that is those who are doing the most questioning 
are the most religious those who knew the words of God best who should have known better and yet they seem to be the ones constantly stirring up those attitudes of questioning and the hard-heartedness among the people so Jesus said to them as they demanded yet another sign from him this is a wicked generation and the word that he uses here is a very strong even we might say explicit word it's the Greek word poneros, and it doesn't just mean deceived. It doesn't just mean ignorant. It means intentionally and actively doing that which is evil. And as Jesus calls them a wicked generation, he's speaking again to many who knew better than to do the things and say the things and have the attitudes that they had. Jesus says to that constant hardness of heart in their midst, this is indeed a wicked generation. And I believe we can relate to that. We know that we live in our own strange and evil days. And it doesn't take much looking around for us to say about our own time, this too is a wicked generation. In fact, it, I, I don't have the time to just start listing out the many ways that evil is around us. Even this last week, we've seen some awful expressions of the evil that is around us. But I want you to listen closely to what Jesus says this morning to this red letter text. Because what he doesn't do is say to that wicked generation, everybody else is the problem and you're not. But instead, he says it in such a way that each person there each person who would hear these words of Jesus even today would be willing to do the hard work of looking into our own hearts. And before we only point the fingers at everyone else and look around and say, they're the problem, not I, that we would remember that those same evil things we see around us all the time, they have the tendency to well up in our own hearts as well. So may we not be like so many in the crowds to whom Jesus was speaking that day. May we be those who have the ears to hear and to heed the words of Jesus. He called them a wicked generation in part because they continually were asking for yet another sign. They're like Pharaoh who wouldn't believe that Moses was sent by God unless Moses could do better tricks than the court magicians could do in Egypt. You hear the crowds, the people, the religious leaders demanding of Jesus, entertain us further. Show us another sign. Give us another proof. As if his teaching and, and the work of the Holy Spirit like had never been seen before and the healings and the casting out of demons and the, the blind receiving sight and the lame being able to walk and people being delivered at every level as if those signs weren't enough. Throughout chapter 11, the people continually keep demanding yet another sign. Many liked Jesus for the entertainment value. But when you look to the end of the Gospels and into the book of Acts, these large crowds of people who were following Jesus dwindled and dwindled further and dwindled a little more to the point that by the end there were just a few men and women who were truly following Jesus as disciples with all of their hearts, with all of their commitment as the church was born into the book of Acts. 
I would argue that signs do not prove real faith. Even today, we can look around and see lots of entertainment out there that we might be drawn to. And much of that entertainment is packaged with spiritual words in the name of Jesus even at times. There's a lot out there that is entertaining. It's a lot of flash, but it has little to no substance. The people who were following Jesus had all the substance they could have ever asked for right in front of them. The crowds who were gathered around had the word made flesh, the living word in their midst, and yet still they say to him, entertain us more. Those who did not have ears to hear the words of Christ continued on being a part of this evil generation. But Jesus did promise them a sign. And the sign that he promised them was the sign that rises above them all. That even today we would look back and say above anything else that Jesus did, the sign of Jonah is the one that we've been called to testify about the most. And Jesus says in the next part of verse 29, this wicked generation asks for a sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be a sign to this generation. Now, if we only had Luke's gospel, we might have a hard time perfectly nailing down what the sign of Jonah is. Hopefully we could come up with the right answer, but, but Matthew's gospel helps us tremendously here. Luke records what Jesus said in his gospel here as it was told to him. But Matthew, who was one of Jesus' direct disciples, one of the twelve following him, remembered that Jesus gave even a further explanation for us so that we might know exactly what the sign of Jonah is. Here's what Matthew wrote in his gospel, chapter 12, verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The early Christians took Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospel, and here's what they said the sign of Jonah was. The sign of Jonah, they said, is the passion and the resurrection of Jesus. Matthew helps us nail it down specifically. The sign of Jonah is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And above all of Jesus' teaching and miracles and signs, though all of them are incredibly important, the main message on the lips of the disciples as the church was born was that Jesus had risen from the dead. And at the heart of our faith, at the heart of our confession, and the most important message we've been given to proclaim at times when people might say it's not even right for us to speak the name of Jesus— the most important message we've been given is that Christ has risen indeed. Next week, we'll come together and we'll celebrate Resurrection Day, Easter Sunday. We'll probably have lots of folks here with us that aren't here with us every Sunday. And what we will be singing about, what we, we will be proclaiming, that the heart of our faith is that Christ has risen from the dead. And if he has risen from the dead, then that also means that physically he died. 
And if he died physically, it, it means that what the Bible says is true. He died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. He died so that we might be forgiven and might be made right with God because we couldn't accomplish that on our own. And if he was able to die as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, that means he also lived a sinless life. And he was born of a virgin birth. And he is the word made flesh that God had promised his people generation after generation so that today we can be here and worship him together. The sign of Jonah is that just as Jonah stayed in the belly of a fish for three days and then he was brought back to life, so Jesus Christ too defeated death so that we might have true eternal life in him. The sign of Jonah points us to the resurrection of Jesus. But I would also argue that the sign of Jonah points us to our own salvation. Think about the language we use when we talk about the fact that having surrendered our lives to Christ, we have been saved. Think about Romans 6.23, a verse many of you probably know well. For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. We too were dead in our sins and transgressions. But because Jesus Christ died and rose again, believing upon him when we say, when we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God indeed raised Jesus from the dead, we will be what? We will be saved. The sign of Jonah is a promise of our own resurrection. That, that though we deserve death, the wages of our sin is death, in Jesus Christ, what we have received is life. And we too have been brought from the pits of death and despair to the glory of the life and the light of his kingdom. Jonah, as we read in our Old Testament reading, was a sign of this because just listen for a moment. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but, but listen for a moment just again to some of that language from Jonah of death. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. As to the roots of the mountains, I sank down. And the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. While my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. And so I will say, salvation comes from the lord the sign of jonah is a reminder of our own salvation and listen we through jesus christ become living pictures of the sign of jonah because we have been brought from death to life we too can say with confidence salvation comes from the lord when we're baptized Baptism is our symbol, it's our reminder that we have been brought from death to life. And think about what we say. We've been buried with Christ in baptism and we've been raised to walk in new life. My old life is gone. I have a new life in Jesus. All of this reminds us that just as Christ has risen from the dead, so 
we too are not condemned to death when we put our trust and our commitment in him. So after speaking of the sign of Jonah, what Jesus does lastly in this short red letter text is ultimately what he's done in most of the texts we've read. He gives the crowds a call to repentance. But he does so in a very strange way, at least probably strange, perhaps even offensive to the crowds who had gathered around, which were made up of, of, of Jewish Hebrew background people. The examples that Jesus uses of those who were willing to repent or those who were willing to come and receive the word of God are not examples from a Hebrew background, but from a Gentile one. He doesn't use examples of their patriarchs or their matriarchs. Instead, he uses the example of the queen of the south and of the Ninevites from the Assyrian peoples. The queen of the south, Jesus said, will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth because she'd heard about Solomon's wisdom and she came to listen to his wisdom. But now I tell you something greater than Solomon is here. Some of you may, in your translations, you may have the queen of Sheba instead of the queen of the south. Our, our team coming back from Thailand, we ended up spending half a day in Doha, Qatar. And, and if you wonder where Sheba is, it's right around where we were. In fact, I told our team, isn't this amazing? We're here in the southern part of the Arabian Peninsula on the Persian Gulf, and Sunday we're going to talk about Sheba, and that's where we're standing. I was really excited. I'm not sure they shared my excitement at all. But I'm the one preaching the message, and I was excited about that. Where are we talking about? The queen of, of, of the south of Sheba coming from the Arab world will be able to stand up and say that she received the word of God. And you hear him implicitly saying to the crowds, at the judgment, will you be able to stand and say you believed upon and received the word of God? The other example he uses is of the Ninevites, those vile people to whom Jonah was sent. And he says the men of Nineveh too, those wicked men, they will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they not only received, but they repented when they heard the preaching of Jonah. But now, again, Jesus says something, someone greater than Jonah is here. What will you do now that you have seen and heard the living word of God? I mentioned Dr. Billy Graham earlier. I'll mention another Dr. B, Dr. Bill Cook, who's a member of our church. Many of you probably know Bill Cook. We have several retired ministers in our church, and that's such a blessing to me as a pastor. Bill Cook is one of them who's always been an encouragement. A few years ago, he came into my office, and he had a Bible, and he had an article, and he said, he said Pastor, I want to give you just a little bit of wisdom that I learned in the past. You need to use the repentant, the word repentance, a lot more in your messages than you're using it. And I said, well, Dr. Cook, I mean, just this last Sunday, I'm pretty sure I said it three or four times. And he said, double it or triple it, even if you have to. <laughs> and he said, he said just look at, at, at the words of Jesus. Look at the, the messages of the apostles in the New Testament. Over and over again, 
the only response that is given, what, what shall we do? The only response that is given to the people is repent. I would agree with Dr. Cook this morning and say to you, we, we can't say that word enough. And we can't, we can't give that call enough. The call to repent. And, and what does repentance do? Well, notice Jesus gives us repentance on a personal level, but also on a communal level. From a personal standpoint, what repentance does for us is it reminds us to reject what we talked about earlier. The temptation to wag our finger at everyone else, but never look into our own hearts and deal with the sin that is there. Jesus is speaking to each and every one of them personally. The cure for the sickness in your soul is repenting and turning back to God and taking the personal responsibility of walking in obedience again. But he also gives an example of a group. We have the Queen of the South, but we also had the Ninevites. And he says that this, this entire group of people also took an, a, a step of repentance. If you read in, in the book of Jonah, each person, everybody in Nineveh, from the greatest to the least, they all put on sackcloth and they all repented. It's a reminder that yes, there's personal repentance. There's a, a personal call to obedience. But there's also that call that as a body, as a community of faith, that we would be faithful together, that we would be one. That as we examine our individual hearts, that we would also do the hard work often of examining, examining our community here and saying, God, are we as a church faithful? Are we as a church proclaiming the message you've given to us above all? Are we as a church representing you as a community of faith of believers like you've called us to? Jesus is speaking straight to the heart of each person and straight into the crowds of those who were following him, many looking to be entertained. And he says, I tell you without question, someone greater than Solomon is here and someone greater than Jonah is here. What then will you do with the word that you have seen and received? Here's your last words this morning. Billy Graham reminded us, you will never be the person you ought to be, no matter how many other remedies you try to apply, until you hear and heed the words of Christ. When we repent, and when we believe upon Jesus Christ as our risen Lord, we become a living representation of the sign of Jonah, because we have been brought from death to life. And when we live in the life that we've been given, we also become light in the darkness of all of the wickedness around us in our generation. And we represent truth and righteousness where there are lies and where there is evil. We are living proof that Jesus Christ brings us from death to life. Something greater is here because someone greater has come to us. He's made his dwelling among us and he's made a way that we can be right with God and we can truly be free. He is the king of all kings, including Solomon. He's the king of all queens, including the queen of the south. And he is the Lord of all the prophets.
He is Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior, and Lord. Does he have all of your heart today? Would you pray with me? As we have a time of invitation, a time for you to respond here at the end of our time of worship. Today, maybe what the Lord is saying to your heart is that call to repentance. Maybe there's something in your heart that you today just need to bring to the Lord, lay down before him and say, God, I'm giving this to you and I am turning away from it and I am running as far away as I can away from that thing. Maybe it's a sin that you're struggling with. Maybe it's a stress. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's something that's causing you to, to be bitter or angry or resentful. We all struggle with those things. If there's something you need to give to God today so that you might be free and take that step of obedience to follow him today, while it's still today, give that to God. Maybe you would say, I've never surrendered my life to Christ at all. Maybe you need to be set free from your sin today. Know that you are forgiven. And be able to to make that confession that Jesus is the king of your heart. Jesus is Lord. Tell God that you believe that, that he raised Jesus from the dead. And today, believe upon him for your salvation. So that, so that you can be free and you can know that you have life that only Christ can give. Our ministers are going to be down here at the front here in just a moment. And we would love today, if you want to step out and come to Jesus, we would love nothing more than to share with you more about how you can give your whole heart and life to him. And walk with him forever. Maybe you just need prayer. Our ministers are, are going to be here to pray for you, pray over you. Maybe you'd like to come down to the altar and pray. Or maybe you just need to spend some time with the Lord where you are. Maybe the Lord's leading you or your family to join our church. Boy, we'd love to celebrate that this morning. However the Lord's leading you, this is an opportunity for you to take a step of obedience. And what better time than right now that, that you would take that step and say, here is my all to Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for this time of worship that we've had, and I thank you most importantly for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May his name continue to be lifted up, and Lord, may you draw people to yourself and draw our hearts close to you. In Jesus' name, amen.